Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Justin Wynn. And today we get to finish up our interview with Dr. Craig Evans about the earliest manuscript of the New Testament ever discovered. It'll be an exciting interview, and I'm glad that you're tuned in. I hope you bear with me this morning as my voice is a little bit sketchy. Thankfully, Dr. Evans is going to be doing most of the talking, and Justin is here with me in the studio, and that should help things out. But thanks for bearing with my rough voice. I hope you enjoyed last week's interview with Dr. Craig Evans. Today, we have the privilege of airing the second half of that interview. So it's going to be an exciting show. If you missed last week's interview, go to godsolutionshow.com and you'll find it there. Dr. Craig Evans is a world-renowned evangelical New Testament scholar and Paysant Distinguished Professor of New Testament at Acadia Divinity College of Acadia University. He was on the God Solution Show last Easter in addition to last week. Again, you can find that show as well at godsolutionshow.com. He's an elected member of the prestigious SNTS, a society dedicated to New Testament studies. He's authored and edited more than 60 books and hundreds of articles and reviews. He often lectures at universities around the world. He's lectured at Cambridge, Oxford, Durham, Yale, other universities, colleges, seminaries, and museums. And he speaks in very many different formats, including conferences and retreats on the historical Jesus, archaeology, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Bible, things like that. He's often interviewed on the radio, like he is this morning here on The God Solution, and on TV networks. He's been on Dateline, NBC, CBC, CTV, Day of Discovery. You might have seen Fox News talking about him this week and quoting him. He's been on many different documentaries that have aired on BBC, the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, History Television, and other channels. He's also served as a consultant for the National Geographic Society and for the Bible miniseries that the History Channel put on about a year and a half ago. A few weeks ago, you probably heard all about Dr. Evans in the news concerning this incredible new find. A few years ago, researchers found the earliest manuscript ever discovered of the New Testament. It dates back to the first century AD, which is quite phenomenal. It's actually a fragment of the Gospel of Mark. What's so incredible about this is very often the critic will say we can't trust the Bible because we don't have these early copies. So finding first century manuscripts is unbelievable. In fact, it's never been done. And being able to look at that and to compare it to the second century and later documents that we have is something that textual critics are excited to do. It's kind of hot off the press news. And Dr. Evans is very careful not to divulge more than he should. He's very careful just to clear up some of the misrepresentations and misstatements that were made in the public media. And he gives some incredible information that you don't want to miss. So this is incredibly significant, and I'm glad that you're tuned in to hear it. So let's pick up with the second part. We're going to pick right up with Dr. Evans talking about the biblical manuscripts, and in particular, this fragment of the Gospel of Mark. How many of these Egyptian mummy masks are currently in the possession of scientists? You know, I don't know. There are thousands of masks, and uh, many of them are not museum quality, and so could well be subject to this kind of dismantling, not only by the green scholars, uh, but by others, too. And some masks, by the way, have been pulled apart. This isn't a brand new idea. It's just the new technique is remarkably successful with uh, masks where the papyri is so 
thoroughly glued together uh, in the past to try to, try to pull it apart would just uh, tear it. So how many of these masks are in possession of the Green Scholars? I do not know. How many masks will be uh, deconstructed, dismantled uh, now and uh, in the years ahead? I, I really can't answer. I would think several hundred, but uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. So I had heard about Dr. Wallace mentioning this in his debate with Ehrman, and I kind of wondered, when are we going to hear more about this? Because it was kind of exhilarating and exciting. And to be honest, I kind of just forgot about this. But recently he was on the air, and I didn't even ask him about it. He was on this show. And he did mention how there are these large number of similar manuscripts and that there's just this lack of manpower to accurately evaluate them all, study them all, sift through them all. And he said the future is very promising, that we'll find many more early documents in this treasure trove of manuscripts. So I guess I didn't know he was referring to this, and I'm sure he might have been referring to a lot more. But do you envision more finds like these in the future, or maybe even earlier documents? Uh, well, yeah, I do. I agree with what Dan Wallace said. Um, <clears throat> Dan Wallace was the first to mention the Mark Fragment publicly. He did so innocently. Uh, someone had uh, told him about it who worked for the Greens, and, uh, and it turned out that person was not supposed to uh, divulge that information. So in all innocence, uh, Dan uh, uh, did announce it at a debate with Bart Ehrman, and that was about three years ago. And the person who uh, divulged that to Dan, uh, his employment was discontinued. And so that's how that got started. Now, what Dan is likely referring to uh, when he was conversing with you are, are the many, uh, probably 400,000 pages of papyri not yet published, uh, just from Oxyrhynchus, Egypt alone. And uh, that's not 400,000 documents, because uh, some of these documents are uh, several pages long, but about 400,000 pages of material Wow. Uh, yet to go, and uh, thousands, of course, of documents and pages of papyrus has been published or have been published uh, for over the course of the last 120 or 30 years, but uh, uh, he's quite right, and so there's a, just a huge amount of work to do, and a lot of these documents are at Oxford at the Sackler Papyrus Lab and uh, Study Room. And uh, Oxford has actually put out online and posted on their webpage appeals to train people who know Greek uh, to learn how to read <clears throat> papyri to help with the work. Because uh, just to give you an illustration, the very first volume of Oxyrhynchus papyri, the very first volume was published in 1898. So that's 117 years ago. And uh, not even 6,000 of these papyri wow. have been published in, in that series. Now, several thousand from Oxyrhynchus have been published in other series, but it just shows you how much more work there is. I uh, was talking to Dirk Obink, uh, who's in charge of the papyri project at Oxford, and I said, uh, do you think we will get this job finished in the next 50 years or so? And he looked at me quite startled. He said, we will not finish it for several hundred years. Wow. And I was quite, quite amazed. 
And uh, so with computers and scanning and who knows, if we can get a bunch of volunteers, maybe maybe the work can be finished a little quicker than that. But that just shows you how much material there is. So I agree with uh, Professor Wallace, and uh, I suspect there will be several interesting finds, maybe astounding finds, yet to be made, some recovered from cartonnage, ancient paper mache. Uh, others, we already have them. They're in boxes, but they just haven't been studied yet. Wow. Now, I'm just dying to know, do you have any idea what Ehrman thinks about this r- recent discovery? Probably not, right? Well, Bart Bart uh, did respond to uh, Dan Wallace at the time, three years ago when this was mentioned. And, uh, and Bart's response was, well, that's a small sample of just one book, and, uh, you know, we would need more samples than that. And that's true. But, uh, you know, there are two Barts. There's Bart, the popular speaker, who puts things in a rather extreme light. And then there's Bart, the scholar. That's why uh, Dan Wallace likes to tease him when he debates him and says, which Bart Ehrman is here tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's an interesting point to that. In his, uh, Bart Ehrman, in his book that he published a couple of years ago, Did Jesus Exist? And, of course, he answers, of course he did. The evidence for Jesus is overwhelming, which, of course, upset a lot of his atheist friends who are mythicists, people who try to argue, which I think is so ridiculous, that Jesus did not exist. He was not a historical person. Well, along the way, in making his case in this very book, uh, Bart said the New Testament manuscripts are reliable, and uh, we know we know what the original writings uh, say, and, and with very few exceptions. And it basically was the same view that his great mentor and evangelical Christian Bruce Metzger all along said that of the twenty thousand lines of the Greek New Testament, there are only forty lines where we have any significant doubt, any anything significant as to uh, how it actually read, and none of those lines, none of those 40 lines, uh, touches on a significant Christian teaching. So the idea that uh, who knows what the Greek New Testament originally said, who knows what it originally meant, that, of course, is uh, just popular silliness. And so even Bart Ehrman, when he's speaking as a scholar, he'll say, sure, the New Testament writings are reliable. There really isn't any doubt as to how they originally uh, read so if the original owners of these mummy masks and these uh, papyri texts uh, retain them after they've been analyzed, what will happen to them? Well, I think, uh, you know, my hope is is that they'll, the fragments will be put on display. Of course, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be photographed in very, very high resolution. Uh, Bruce Zuckerman, who is an outstanding photographer of manuscripts, is the chief photographer. He, and they do it in different uh, different lighting settings. It could be infrared, ultraviolet, and so on, backlighting. And so uh, they'll be uh, very carefully photographed, and uh, uh, these images will be made available in due course, either online or in print form or both. But what will happen with the actual papyrus? Well, the owners will get it, will get them back. That, that will be museums and private collectors. Some of these materials the green people have purchased, and they own them. And so I have no doubt these things will become part of the Museum of the Bible, which is a a living and expanding Bible exhibition, the history of the Bible, 
that the Green family uh, sponsors, and so it's linked to the Green Scholars Initiative. We also do uh, exhibits and conferences where we speak, and those are called passages. And uh, at these events, several of the uh, biblical items, like a Gutenberg press, old Torah scrolls, and some of these papyri are actually on display. So nobody's being secretive about it. We're talking about tens of thousands of museum pieces that they've collected. And so it's it's a giant collection. It's actually been exhibited in St. Peter's Square at the Vatican uh, just a year ago, uh, some of this. So it's not secret. It's just a, it's a work in progress. And in due course, there will be technical publications. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR. 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango, and kdur.org online. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll get a chance to check out last week's interview with Dr. Evans. That's at godsolutionshow.com. And I'm glad that you're tuned in for the last part of our interview with him this morning. Since we don't really hear a whole lot about first century evangelistic endeavors in Egypt, does it surprise you that so many texts are being found in mummy masks? No, not really. Um, <clears throat> what happened, uh, that, that question comes up, and it's an interesting question, and in lecture with my students just yesterday, we were talking about early Jewish Christianity and uh, why is it so underrepresented uh, when you get into, the say, the third century and beyond. And what I point out is, well, you know, I think Jewish Christianity suffered terribly from three major wars. The first big revolt in the year 66 that resulted in the destruction of the temple, capture of Jerusalem in the year 70. And then there's the second war in North Africa. That was a Jewish rebellion, 115 to 117. And the third rebellion, uh, the Bar Kokhba rebellion of 132 to 135. And I think what happened was uh, the, the Jewish Christian membership in the church was greatly reduced by these catastrophes. And along with it, a lot of relics, potentially, artifacts, archaeological materials that might otherwise have survived on into the modern period. And so when you have these devastating, obliterating wars uh, in, in the heartland, you know, Judea and uh, Egypt, uh, which is where strong Jewish communities, right on into what today is Libya in North Africa, I think that has the effect of reducing what would have been a much larger amount of material. So that's a factor. But I think, too, some scholars have underestimated the literary realities of antiquity. We, I think condescend. We assume most people could not read. And, uh, and yet you go to the dump at Oxyrhynchus. This is, not a, this is not Cambridge of antiquity. It's not Oxford of antiquity. Oxyrhynchus was a business town. It wasn't highly cultured. It wasn't Alexandria. It wasn't Ephesus. It wasn't Rome. It wasn't Rhodes. It's just this business town, farming town. And, and yet we find half a billion pages of, of writing in the dump. And, and we recovered, we estimate, only about one-third of it. So we're talking about a one and a half billion pages in the trash of a uh, of a city in antiquity that was not particularly known as a culture center or an academic center. And so everywhere we go in the ancient world, where the weather, where the climate, where the elements allow 
things like graffiti and inscriptions, ostraca and papyri to survive, we find huge amounts of those things. So that tells me that people in antiquity, there, there were higher levels of literacy than we realize. Um, there's not a wall around that somebody didn't write on, and we know that from Herculaneum and Pompeii and uh, the buried uh, underground uh, shopping market at Smyrna, covered by an earthquake, protecting the plastered walls uh, down below. And, and the walls are just covered with graffiti and crude, misspelling and so on, which means these are non-elite people, not especially well-educated people, yet they know how to read and write. So I'm not surprised, to answer your question, I'm not surprised that we find so many writings. And, of course, by the time you get into the late first century on into the second century, uh, the Christian church was huge and rapidly expanding. And wherever the Jews lived, there were Christians in and around the synagogues. And, of course, increasing numbers of non-Jews were becoming Christians. So I'm not surprised that we find uh, Christian documents uh, potentially uh, reaching all the way back to the first century itself. The article posted by NBC News said you believe the original writings of the Gospels were in circulation for as long as 200 years. What leads you to believe that? Well, the, act, the evidence. The evidence is uh, basically twofold. One, uh, we have church fathers that talk about autographs still in circulation 200 years later. Tertullian speaks of the autographs of Paul available in certain cities where he wrote them. doesn't surprise me. They would be treasured if you can imagine. And so he names the, the cities like Rome and Corinth. <clears throat> and when Tertullian was saying this about the year uh, 190, that would be about 135, 140 years after Paul wrote his letters. Uh, there's a bishop in another city that speaks of the original Gospel of John still at Ephesus where people touch it and kiss it. And when he says this, John would have been about 200 years old. So what then is the evidence beyond just these claims? Well, we find in, uh, when stratigraphy was done, and it often wasn't, but when we dig down through these trash heaps at Oxyrhynchus and take note of the different layers, and they're dated properly because of finds, we find in 4th and 5th century A.D. layers, 1st and 2nd century collections of books. This means that these books were 200 to 300 years old before they were discarded. At Qumran, which was destroyed uh, in 68 or 73 in the first century, there were Bible scrolls that were over 200 years old still being read. When we, uh, Some of the uh, pagan writers refer to the autographs of Aristotle or the Gracchi brothers, and these writings would have been 250 to 300 years old and yet they still existed and were being read. Uh, Cicero, the great, uh, or Cicero, the great Roman writer of the first century B.C., speaks of his, he owns many very old manuscripts. Christian Bibles that are well-preserved today, uh, the great 4th and 5th century codices, we have evidence that they were being read for five, 600 years. So the idea that an autograph written by Paul, which would have been regarded as precious, say the book of Romans written in the year 55 or something like that, the idea that after 20 or 30 years it would just be thrown away is absurd. Uh, it would have been treasured uh, for a long, long time. The original Matthew, same thing. And the significance of this is, even if they only lasted 150 years, uh, that means that in the year 200, when 
are manuscripts like P45, which is Gospels and Acts, or P46, which is Paul's letters, these very old uh, papyrus manuscripts that have been found in Egypt, that when they were written out at the beginning of the 3rd century, the autographs are still available. The originals are still floating around. And, of course, the very first copies of them made back in the 1st century. So the idea that the text of the New Testament just went wild, it was full of changes, and like the telephone game or something like that, uh, that Bart Ehrman has suggested, for example, in some of his talks. Uh, there's no basis for that at all. And so we have a very stable text, and that's why I don't think we will be surprised by uh, strange readings or something like that when we find fragments of Mark or other writings reaching back to the end of the first century or beginning of the third, uh, second century, I fully suspect the text will read uh, the same. So this is all really exciting. I mean, it's exhilarating. Having to wait another couple of years to hear these published studies is just kind of going to be hard. But as you evaluate all that we just talked about, first century manuscripts, possibly, or at least that one, second century additional manuscripts, what do you think all this means for Christians today? I know that the research is not being done to prove a bias, but as Christians, how is it relevant to each of us? Well, I think uh, what it just shows, it's one more, it's like one brick in an edifice. It just uh, shows that uh, Christian confidence in the Bible in general, and we could we could go on and on talking about the Old Testament, too, if we wanted to, but uh, confidence that uh, the Scriptures have been copied properly, that there haven't been these strange Dan Brown-like conspiracies where Emperor Constantine meddles with the Bible or something like that, there's no truth to any of that. Christians should have confidence that, that the, the text was regarded with great respect. Every effort was made to copy it carefully. Yes, of course, the handwriting manuscripts do have mistakes, and they get caught. There's a proofreader who reads over it, and he makes the corrections in the margin. And that's why the text is so well preserved. And all we're finding with this older evidence, these old fragments, is just just more confirmation of the same basic point. And so this really isn't, apologists can make, can make a deal out of it if they want, and that's fine. But uh, non-apologetic, non you might say, uh, scholars in some cases who aren't even Christians, they'll tell you the same thing. They'll say the manuscripts are, show every, give every indication of being very carefully preserved. So we're not surprised at all to find an old fragment that reads the same way, and I think we're just going to keep finding more of the same. The evidence relates also to the historical narratives where they say certain things happened, and then in some cases we find corroboration from other sources or archaeology. And it turns out, yeah, the, the, the gospel story is correct. And, uh, and that's anymore it's not a surprise. The odd man out is the skeptic and the minimalist who says none of it happened or it didn't happen that way. Uh, whoever says that is swimming against the tide of evidence. So where can people find more info on all this? Well, I, I wish I could say just go to this this one spot and you'll find everything. Uh, these new manuscripts, I, I think visiting the Green Scholars and Passages website, uh, then you can stay as current as just about anybody uh, on it. Um, 
there are Stan Porter's recent book on the New Testament manuscripts uh, and the formation of the Bible uh, is a very good book. It's been out about a year. And uh, so some of this information uh, is available, but uh, it's just it's being found so fast that uh, it's hard keeping up with it. But the publications, uh, more publications will come and uh Otherwise, you just need to hear lectures. <laughs> we go around lecturing all the time, and that's one way to hear about all of this. And where can people find more info on you? Uh, well, I do have a web page, craigaevans.com, and uh, my speaking schedule is noted there as well as my uh, recent uh, publications. Wonderful. Anything else you'd like to share? Well, I, I, I'll express my appreciation to you, Nate, for... Uh, uh, for the interview, and I'm glad to have an opportunity to uh, set the record straight. I'll have the opportunity to give a few more uh, interviews uh, later today, tomorrow, and I, I just uh, I just want the public not to be misled. If people unfairly criticize me, I really don't care. But what bothers me is that the misinformation, you know, will mislead people, and they'll wonder what's going on. So thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to set the record straight. Absolutely. The show is yours. Anytime, anytime you need to get on and talk about anything, let us know. Well, thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate that. Thank you so much again, Dr. Evans, for being on the show. You bet. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. It was an exciting interview with Dr. Craig Evans. Again, you can get this interview and last week's show, also the first part of the interview with him, at godsolutionshow.com. So why is this important? Well, we all wonder, can we really trust what the New Testament says? Specifically, as it concerns Jesus, can we trust what the Gospels say about Jesus? What we heard today was that the evidence for the reliability of the New Testament is extremely strong. Again, Dr. Evans called this another brick in the edifice of that evidence, and he said that the critic has a current that he has to swim against to maintain his skepticism. That's all very true. And we can have confidence that what we read in the Bible is legitimately what was originally written. And we can know that what God says to us in his word is really worth basing our lives on. Now, see, the Bible says that God loves you personally, not just you as in all people, but he loves you personally. The Bible also says that you and I are sinful. That means we don't measure up to who God is. Our sin separates us from God. All selfishness separates relationships, and our sin has separated us infinitely from a perfect God. Left unmitigated, that would be horrible news. In fact, I shared that with somebody once, and he said, if that is true, how can you Christians be so happy all the time? Well, the reason that we're happy is that there's a lot more to the story than that. The Bible tells us that God himself became a man, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, lived the perfect life that none of us could ever live, and died the death that I deserved on the cross. The Bible literally says that he nailed the record that was against me to the cross. See, God's justice had to be met. And he met that condition on the cross himself. The justice that should have come against me, he took out on himself. The Bible says anybody that puts their faith and trust in him can receive his forgiveness and eternal salvation and eternal life as a free gift that we don't earn, but something that we received by putting our faith in him. If you'd like to do that this morning, you could do that right now through prayer. You could say, Jesus, I really believe that you are who you say you are. 
that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again to give me new life. I put my faith and my trust in you this morning, and I ask you to come into my life as my Savior and Lord. The Bible says that if you took that step this morning, you've been adopted into his family, and you can look forward to a life of meaning and purpose with him, and an eternity with him in heaven as well. What an incredible promise. I hope that you'll take that step this morning if you haven't already. Thanks so much for bearing with my raspy voice this morning. I hope that you'll go to GodSolutionShow.com and check out this interview, the first part of our interview with Dr. Evans, last Easter's interview with Dr. Evans, and the many other shows that we have. We have about 200 MP3s up there, a lot of great interviews and a lot of great shows. While you're at GodSolutionShow.com, please look at the list of local churches and the times and the places that they meet, and maybe pick one to visit this morning. I'm sure it'd be a great, great way to grow in your faith, even this morning. You could also join us next Thursday at Jones Hall, number 140, at 6 p.m. Thursday at Jones 140 at 6 p.m. for Connect. We'll have dinner and a discussion about Jesus. It'll be a great time, and I hope you'll come. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. I got a stronger, got a stronger.